Good evening, everybody, again. Um, so joining us now is Gabby O'Connor, artist, um, currently exhibiting out at Pataka Museum in Porirua with an exhibition called Studio Antarctica. Um, Gabby, could you just give us a little bit of a background about yourself before we get into the exhibition? Oh, background. Um, okay, so I'm originally from Melbourne and I did... Um, Part of my art training there, I studied sculpture, um, and then I did my master's in Sydney, and then I moved to Wellington in 2001, and I've been here ever since. And um, yeah, that's that kind of background. <laughs> and art, so it's always been part of your life? Um, yeah, uh, pretty much. I, I suppose I did contemplate a range of... Um, I was trying to, you know, like you go to the guidance counsellor at school, the careers counsellor, and they try and persuade you to study more functional versions of jobs. But, um, yeah, no, I went to art school and, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. So is it your full-time occupation? Um, I guess so. Um, Because you teach as well, don't you? Well, yeah, I suppose, like, my... The way that I work is kind of split into a few different areas. Um, So I have kind of a teaching practice and where... And it's pitched at many different um, levels. So I've I've kind of taught at universities, but also a lot of focus working with um, kids and kind of upskilling them with various kind of art and craft, I suppose, strategies. And um, But also there's this kind of science communication kind of crossover aspects with this, particularly with the research that I've been doing um, with Antarctica and um, it's, it's kind of developed in a way that um, my projects have developed where I've kind of brought in the teaching along with the art making as a way of kind of communicating bigger ideas and kind of as a way of growing audiences for not only um, you know art and art galleries and those kinds of things but also for science and maths and geography and all those and history and all that that other kind of like really um, vital and amazing stuff that you can kind of you can miss the the excitement of it with the way it's delivered in you know schools often so um yeah so trying to put all my powers combined (laughs) (laughs) it's very ambitious yeah i suppose so but most most people just spend their lives dedicated to one of those um, yeah but yeah but i suppose you know i'm i'm curious and so i'm trying to understand the world around me you know with the tools that i have so and i Mm. realize i realized a lot as i was in preparation for going to antarctica last year that that you know so much about and whilst I was there, like, all I'm doing is just trying to understand what is in front of me and what's around me and why people have done things or why things are happening, even though I don't necessarily have, you know, scientific understanding or the mathematical understanding or, mm. you know, but it's trying to get all those kind of disparate kind of um, fragments of information and knowledge and trying to make connections between them and build kind of pictures and then, you know, use it as a vehicle for communication. Mm. Which is, yeah. I guess, the foundation of a lot of art, or most of art, isn't it? It's an interpretation of life and reality and yeah. how it all ties together. Yeah, it's just yeah. processing data or processing yeah, yeah. information and, you know, repackaging it and, yeah, yeah new delivery system. Cool. Um, I'd like to touch on that a bit later on, that this whole connection between science and art, because that's been a lot of what's happened with, which led you to studio... Uh, Antarctica, is that right? Mm, yeah. Um, but just before we get there, I was looking at what lies beneath yes. today. 
and it seemed like, in hindsight, that was a little bit of a uh, precursor to what you're doing now. Would you? So why don't you first tell our listeners about What Lies Beneath? Um, So What Lies Beneath was an artwork that actually um, was exhibited at the City Gallery five years ago, pretty much exactly. Mm. And... um, and that project also was the starting point of um, a collaboration with oceanographer at Niwa that uh, we'll jump side while <laughs> we'll, get, we'll re- <laughs> reconnect that tangent later. But um, so the the starting point for that artwork was um, I was reading this book called The Wide White Page, which is um, a bunch of kind of fiction about Antarctica that was edited by um, Bill Manheyer. And in the introduction, it talks about um, this particular moment that grabbed me was where he's talking about the bodies of Captain Scott and um, Oates and the other explorers that all perished in Antarctica. It's it's thought that they must be under about 56 metres of ice and that that their body... uh, at that point, so that was in the 90s that research was from, and that in X number of years, so maybe 200, 300 years, um, because the ice is constantly sliding away from from the South Pole towards the Ross Ice Shelf. And so in 200-something years, the, their bodies would eventually carve off the Ross Ice Shelf. And I kind of th- thought that was quite amazing. It's like they actually get to leave. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 400 years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so I was thinking about, you know, that stuff that we don't see and don't understand and, and you know, there's all that kind of, you know, the 10%, 90% of mm. iceberg kind of thought. And started researching about you know thinking about these icebergs that you know would carry their bodies off the off Antarctica and you know seeing the, the and thinking of it like a memorial in some ways you know and um, so I tried to understand about icebergs and so I was reading all sorts of different information and trying to look at pictures and find information and if you Google search the underneath of an iceberg you see the most awful kind of um, Photoshop collages of you know, glossy, glossy icebergs that you could never actually... It's, uh, yeah, unrealistic. So you can't really get this sense. And so from all these fragments of, like, close-up underwater photos to, you know, um, aerial and semi-submerged, I tried to build this kind of picture and developed a kind of a shape system that would allow enough flexibility to kind of make this big form. And so... So that's like the story behind the work, but then there's the physicality where the gallery that I was exhibiting in had a giant um, skylight that went the length of the gallery and um, the kind of irony of a skylight in a gallery is it's always closed because art and light aren't friends because of the damage that can happen to them. But I kind of thought, well, I want to activate the space and kind of harness the, the this kind of light source because I often work with light sources and um, so I created the work to sit over the top of the light well and so as the weather changed the kind of the the quality of lighting and the artwork changed but one thing that was kind of incidental was um, it almost had its own little weather system because it was so high and like it, the the work itself um, at one point started vacuuming sucking inwards and twisting 
and it was quite scary, but it was quite amazing that, you know, because the way the hot air rises and the cool air drop, uh, lowers, it was, you know, it was this living thing. Wow. Yeah. Was the art damaged in any way? No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I just, I managed to reinforce it. So the work, I didn't even talk about what the work's made out of. It's, it was made out of tissue paper that's um, dyed and lacquered, so it's quite a, se- a seemingly fragile material. Um, and it's just stapled together, so I kind of developed a three, four, and five-sided shape system that, you know, like a puzzle, could fit together in various ways. And there were some bits that I had to kind of edit out, some sections that got, were under strain, but this was all kind of resolved during the installation, not afterwards. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. So, yeah, that's what lies beneath. So tell us about, um, so that was when you first became interested in the, the uh, combination of art and science? Um, yeah, I, su- I suppose so. Like, so I, during the process of this particular, that particular project, like I was three quarters of the way through, but I met um, an oceanographer at Niwa and, and I basically asked him a lot of questions to, to kind of aid my understanding because I didn't have that scientific background. And um, so... And we kind of um, developed a rapport in, to the point where I invited him to participate in my um, artist talk to kind of, um, so I could talk you know, about the work and me making the work and the ideas behind the work and then he would put it into scientific context and it kind of was, for, it was quite, you know, you know it was quite, um, you know, fresh and we were just really playing with the ideas that were in the work but it was quite, felt quite successful and then kind of eventually got some funding to do another project that was kind of offspin of that where um, where the fun it was a creative communities funding so we kind of had to have a community aspect to it as well as the art aspect but we're kind of trying to combine the art and the science which is part of this kind of schools workshop thing that kind of developed and kind of saw the the value the value in that kind of um, the experiment that we did within the classrooms because like, when we kind of delivered this kind of art science in combination to, you know, primary school kids like from year five to year six and even special needs units, um, you kind of, you're delivering, like they think they're doing art and they're going to make some stuff and it's going to be fun and art is like a native language to kids so there's no pressure but you're also letting them, you know, they meet a scientist who talks about, you know, all the things that they do and how, you know, what the kind of things that you need to do to become a scientist. But really, and they're, you know, doing all the geography and the maths and the, you know, teaching kids, you know, where Antarctica is in relation to New Zealand, and particularly in Wellington, which, you know, you kind of think it's so, something so far away because in the maps, you know, Antarctica is always shown separately or it's, you know, the underside of the earth kind of picture. And so, you know, we would demonstrate that, you know, in um, wintertime, Antarctica, because of the sea ice spread, is only one full length of New Zealand away. So that's the you know the north and the south island. So, yeah, that's so if you do I that, have no idea. yeah. And but in summer it's two lengths of New Zealand away. It's so, not even that far away during summer. No. So and you know and it's quite easy to teach them that mm. by you know because we have relatable, isn't it? yeah and because we have those crazy storms you know where the trampolines get you know put on people's houses and stuff and we were really lucky. One of the workshops we did, the storm had happened the day before. So, you know, it was really topical. And so it's, and, you know, giving kids this kind of like high value 
you know, real information, you know, at, you know, when they're kids, you know, you know that they're going to disseminate it to their families and they'll carry it, and an experience, they'll carry it with them to, as they're an adult. And we kind of um, realise that, you know, this is really powerful kind of form of science communication. And there's this tricky thing when with um, scientists working in, like, the CRIs or the government agencies and that the, the science communication that's the, it's changing a little bit now but is often valued is when people talk to bureaucrats but their mind is already made up and they're working with it in financial and political cycles and so it's hard for them to take you know this good information on board and do something with it but if you if we you know educate the kids they will carry that through and they'll be better people so <laughs> you know and because they're the ones inheriting you know all this you know the the earth you know yeah, from yeah. you know the way that it has what been a great this, idea yeah what a great idea. keep them while they're young yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps them well. Yeah. So uh, I listened to your interview on Radio New Zealand with the kids and when you were teaching. Oh yeah. And one of the children was like, "Were there any ducks there?" I know. I know. He was really crazy about the ducks, and the, and like one of the, and one of the main like so it's funny because we should, we deliver this kind of you know. Um, you know, like we, I talk because now the talk has changed. Because like when we first started doing it, I hadn't been to Antarctica, so I was talking about me imagining. And then now I've been there, and all the kids, are, all the kids are, you know, we don't because sh- it's like I'm working with the ocean, and we're like looking into the ocean, and we're looking at ice and ice crystals and the weather. You know, and we leave till the very, very end the charismatic megafauna. And that's all they're really, really excited. It's like it's this thing, but they're all like, are there polar bears? And we're like, no, <laughs> there's no four-legged animals in Antarctica. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, anyway. I just want to, we're actually running out of time, unfortunately. That's this okay. It's never long enough. Yes. Um, let's cut to the chase. So, yeah. So tell our listeners quickly in in five minutes about um, Project Antarctica. Studio Antarctica. So in February last year I found out that I was going to be included in a research team to go to Antarctica in October. So we went at the start of the summer season, so when the sea ice is at its thickest. And so we had a camp that was about, I don't know, 15 to 20 kilometres away from Scott Base on two metre thick sea ice that had two metres of um, sea ice platelets underneath it, which... I ended up doing a lot of study and there's lots of artwork in the exhibition about that. And um, so the exhibition itself kind of covers this the whole year between me finding out I was going into now where there's like the me, the before Antarctica, so me imagining mm-hmm. what it was going to be like yeah. and so doing research into historical images and just trying to understand, you know, how what a massive undertaking that must have been. It was it was interesting, and I kind of would freak myself out as well, but yeah, in a good way. And yeah, and just Huge kind of. Scope. But we were um, like, so we we were in this quite self-contained camp. So we had like eight or nine shipping containers. We had a, a we had heaters. We had a stove and an oven and a kettle, and you know we had mattresses and you know it, it, we weren't camping in tense and it was very luxurious so you know we didn't have to deal with the weather and you know didn't have showers for a couple of weeks but you know nor a flushing toilet but you kind of you can work around that um so So it's all all multimedia is that right yeah so i so my um what i decided my approach to the trip was because i didn't i didn't know what i'd need to do what i would find inspiring and or what i would get into so i brought like a big toolkit like lots of 
options to paint, draw, take photos, document, and um, GoPros and things like that. And I just thought I'll document the crap out of it. I'll just it's, so it's like a data collecting exercise. So I'll just take lots of photos, do lots of video, draw, paint. I'll just do as much as I can, and then once I got back, I'd try to, you know, process that data and mm. turn it into artworks. Mm. But I didn't actually know I was going to do this exhibition until January, so I, which is a much shorter time frame to kind of develop what is essentially a pretty new body of work. So January to June. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so I kind of broke it open, like it's like showing the process. Yeah. So yeah. rather than... I'm rather than, out this weekend to check it out. Yeah, so rather than stressing out about trying to, you know, make one individual kind of artwork representation of the idea, there's a large-scale um, installation that, that's made out of sellotape or um, package, clear packaging tape. There's a suite of large photographs. There's a bunch of um, paintings and drawings. There's some smaller sculptural works, and there's a video work. And so I've never made video work. I've never exhibited photos before. Um, and I've, my um, drawing and painting has always been a private thing that's been part of the development of projects. So it's been, yeah... It, taking myself out of my comfort zone. I'm so sorry that we don't have more time. Gabby, can, you, okay. can you quickly tell our listeners where they can go to um, see your work? Yeah, so Pataka is out in Porirua and um, it's got signs. It's really easy to get to. It's got a good cafe and <laughs> a library. Oh, so, pa- um, so I've got blogs and websites Everywhere, Google, so Google, Gabby, Gabby O'Connor, O'Connor and <laughs> yep, that's what I did. Pretty much. And tell us about finally. Tell us about the song you chose for us. Today. Oh well, that's probably this year's favourite song. Um, a good friend of ours had a birthday party, at which was almost like a mini WOMAD in in Wairarapa, and we were in a grove surrounded by trees, and we were playing records for her birthday party, and it was her special request, and it was quite a magic moment. So, Great. And what yeah. was the song? Um, so it's Chris Knox, and um, it's given, not, given not, not given lightly. Yep, so we're getting tumbled. Thank you so much for coming in, Gabby. Yep, thanks uh, for having it's me. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thanks, Cheers. Gabby. Thank you.